Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my. It's just another night for Supernatural Girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others. Here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker, and I'm here with PK tonight. Patricia Kirkman, how are you doing? Absolutely fabulous. Oh, Gorgeous yay. day That's out. Good to hear oh, that. Good. Mm-hmm. And you have not been feeling well for a few weeks. You had that jungle fungus going around, and you yeah, sound for great. Sure. I like you're all yeah, better. I feel a yeah. lot better. Still a bit oh, of a throb in the throat periodically, but other than that, that's nothing compared to where I've been. So I'm oh. I'm up and running. Yay! Well, that's a that's a lot of good news. So we got to check with you on the numbers. What's happening? May well, one. we're in a brand new month. That's number one. But the month is all about money. Now, it isn't just the money, the making of, but pay attention to the stock market. There's going to be some things bouncing around this month. And anything to do with business and organizations, that's going to be kind of top of the list. Anything that deals with the materialistic side of things, that's going to be hot news. But we always have to remember that the month of May always deals with major changes. And I'm still picking up what we talked about last month. There are strange things taking place, uh, the unexpected, and it has not left yet. It's still hanging around. Secrets are going to be popping out a few more places yet. So we'll just kind of hang on to the side of the rails and ride the road, and we're going to be okay. But don't count on what you think you're hearing. Really listen. Okay? How's yes. That sound? I like it. I like it. It's, it sounds like an exciting month. It really does. It can very well be. And I think the most important part is, Pay attention to your own finances. Don't let anybody hoodwork you into trying something new. Let's invest in this for a little bit. Uh Uh-uh, not a time to be a player. Okay, not a time for that. Now, I just got a a text question from one of our listeners. What about legal affairs in the month of May? What do you think? Well, we're coming. We're still carrying over what has been going on this past month. If there was legal involved there, we're right now in a month we're dealing with the authority figures, and that could be positive or negative. The authority figure, if it, you're on the negative side of the loop, it can have a severe altercations that can create problems for you. If you've been working on some of these things to slide out of it, it can get better. But there's, it's, it's like watching confetti in the air, the way it's coming down right now because of all the deception that we had going on last month that wasn't explained to anybody. This month, it's going to be made clearer. And so hang on to your purse and don't just assume because somebody said so. Okay. So really check the facts, right? If you can find them. Oh, definitely. 
Most of them, yeah. You can well, they haven't got hit under the table. Put in the middle of them. That's right. All right. All right. Now, everybody who wants to know their own personal numbers, you can go to patriciakirkman.com. And there is a way for you to schedule your own private session with Patricia PK. You can also find her on the Supernatural Girls website. That's Supernatural Girls with a Z. Be sure to sign up for our newsletter, The Fringe Files. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter so that you can pay attention to all the great things that we're posting and doing. We have lots more stuff coming up down the line, and we want to make sure you're included in all of it. And if you want your soul realignment reading, be sure to contact me. You can find me on SupernaturalGirls.com. I've been doing a lot of them lately, and it's been so much fun. And I love working with people and giving them a completely different lens to look at their lifetimes, their life here, their goals. It's been very exciting. And we have new candles that go with the readings. Yeah, it's Mm -hmm. very different and very powerful. And I now have a soul realignment candle with not a wisdom one we're working on a wisdom we have a wealth one and we have a love one and guess who helped me make them miss katrina raspold one of our favorite favorite guests very powerful bruja among other things she puts her mojo into these candles and we send them out and you get to work with the best of the best for candles. They are so powerful. We were talking with Eric, her husband, last week about these candles. So now that we have them specifically. Oh, it's great. If you didn't hear mm-hmm. it, go back and listen to it in the archives. It was wonderful. But now you get a chance to work with some of Katrina and Eric's combined magic in these candles. Send me an email if you're interested. Be happy to book a session for you and also tell you how you can buy the candles. So. Anyways, tonight we have a great guest. We've been dying to get him on the show, and he's been so busy. Now, my God, he's a television star, so getting a hold Mm -hmm. of him has not been as easy as we'd like, but we love this man. He's been on the show before. It's Ken Gerhardt. He's a great author. He is the master of cryptids. He knows everything, everything there is to know. Anyways, Ken knows. So he's going to join us in just a minute. And the funny thing is, when I was looking for paranormal news stories tonight, I found the story in Fox, at Fox News, about Mm -hmm. Yeti Footprints. My God, Yeti Footprints (laughs) that were posted by the Indian Army, of all places. Mm -hmm. So here's, here's what they said in the story. It's posted on our Facebook page, of course. But the Indian Army, on its official Twitter account claims to have found footprints of the mysterious Yeti, also known as the Abominable Snowman. Now, I've got to tell you, when I was a kid, the Abominable Snowman in movies, it really scared me. I don't know why, but it, <laughs> it really, really scared me. So, for the first time, the Indian Army Mountaineering Expedition team cited mysterious footprints of the mythical beast Yeti measuring, get a load of this, 32 by 15 inches. And this was close to their base camp. So this was written up in an April 29th tweet. This exclusive, this elusive and exclusive snowman has only been sighted mm-hmm. at Barun National Park in the past. Now we have pictures. There's pictures of the footprints. They're huge. So largely regarded as a myth, the Yeti is part of Nepalese folklore and is said to live high in the snow-capped Himalayas. 
And in a tweet accompanied by pictures, the Indian Army said it had sighted footprints measuring, again, 32 by 15 inches. So that is quite something. And I love it that this Yeti left footprints for all of us to see. That is very cool. Mm -hmm. But tonight we're going to be talking with Ken Gerhardt. And let me tell you a little bit about him. He is the star of the new Travel Channel show, In Search of Monsters. And he does a great job. I've seen the show. I watch the show. Whenever they have a new one, I'm watching it. Ken is phenomenal. And he is widely recognized as a cryptozoologist and field investigator for the Center for Fortean Zoology. He is also a fellow of the, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, the Pangaea Institute. He's traveled the world searching for evidence of mysterious animals and legendary beasts, including Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, Chupacabra, enigmatic winged creatures, and werewolves. He's been on a ton of television, including History Channel TV series Missing in Alaska, Monster Quest, The Real Wolfman, oh my gosh, Ancient Aliens, too. He's been on everything. And we're lucky Mm -hmm. enough to have him here with us tonight. So, Ken, welcome to the show. Good evening, ladies. Thank you so much for having me on tonight. It's good to talk to you again. Wow, it's great having you here. Absolutely thrilled to have you here. First of all, we love you, and second of all, we love the subject of cryptids. It's fascinating. And you have a lot of books out there that can be bought on Amazon, one of your most recent, A Menagerie of Monsters, and you have a new book coming out later this year on Bigfoot. But tell us what's going on in the world of cryptids. I know there's a lot of news, so get us up to date. Well, there's always a lot going on. You just mentioned, of course, the the Yeti footprints. That's been uh, kind of talked about and disseminated quite quite a bit. Um, as Despite the fact there is, of course, a rich tradition and history of sightings, footprint events, and things like that, I think there's a lot of evidence that the the Yeti may exist. Uh, I'm a little skeptical about the dimensions that we're talking about here. When you're, <laughs> excuse me, when you say a 32-inch footprint, based on uh, ratios of, you know, bipedal hominids like humans and presumably Bigfoot, and, and if it exists, um, you would be talking about something that's 16 feet tall if we have had wow. a 32-inch footprint. So. That's far beyond and outside the paradigm of accepted sizes. I think the famous Yeti footprints that were photographed by British mountaineer Eric Shipton, for example, back in 1951, those were about 13 inches long, which were still quite large compared to the the mountaineer's footprints. So, I mean, the range of Sasquatch or Bigfoot footprints in my collection, I have an extensive collection of casts, uh, those start around 13 inches and go up to maybe 18 inches, and that's the very top size that I personally accept. So when you know that's that would be my main problem is that the the 32 inch claim. I mean, you'd be talking about a true true giant, uh, yeah, in the, mm-hmm. in the greatest sense. But still, maybe uh, they flip the numbers. That, yeah, absolutely. But it is interesting, of course, whenever there's a, a claim of, of of someone finding evidence like footprints or, or anything like that. Um, beyond that, I mean, there. are uh, cryptozoology, of course, is tied in also to, and we try to tie it in, those of us that are active, to traditional science zoology. We think that you know we need to respect 
Uh, we're going to be the scientific origins of cryptozoology. So there have been a lot of discoveries lately by paleoanthropologists of new hominids in Asia. Uh, just recently, there was a little a little hominid found. When I say hominid, of course, I'm talking about a man-like form, something that's on our evolutionary tree. Um, so there are new hominid fossils being found all the time, and that's really shaping uh, and changing the landscape of, of you know what we know about human evolution. And what's yes. interesting there is that you have two dynamics at work. One is that the timeline for hominids uh, surviving into mo- well, first of all, the timeline is being pushed back in terms of you know how long ago were there things that walked upright that you know of course back in we're talking about six seven million years ago they were essentially chimpanzee level intelligence we presume based on their tiny skulls but they were walking upright just like us but Mm -hmm. what's really interesting of course is the other dynamic which shows that the timeline for surviving hominids with very primitive traits is getting pushed further and further closer to us to the present time so, for example, we now know that about 50,000 years ago, there were uh, m- several species of, of hominids, Homo, on the, sharing the planet Earth at the same time: Homo sapiens, Neanderthals, Homo erectus, perhaps, and you know, you know the Hobbit, Homo floresiensis. So, I mean, you know, think about it. There, there have always been uh, multiple types of, of human-like forms, hominid forms, dating back millions of years. So, the question then becomes. Well, why should the present day be any different? Why can't there be multiple types of hominids on our planet right now? And that would include, of course, things like Bigfoot and the Yeti. Right, right. Now, when you go out on an investigation, because I know you're, you go all over the world, what have you found lately? I mean, have you cited any of these things or have people come out with real pictures or videos to show you? I've never had a sighting. Um, I've never seen any. I've been investigating for 40 years. I've never seen a cryptid or something I couldn't identify with my own eyes. I have heard things. I've heard vocalizations that I couldn't identify, recorded those. And I did see eye shine one time associated with vocalizations. But, of course, eye shine just meant that there was (laughs) some type of nocturnal animal looking back at me. It looked very tall, but... But I've never seen one. As far as findings, you know, one of the real challenging aspects of cryptozoology, the field, is that we don't really have any empirical evidence, nothing concrete. We don't have anything physical, which is what science really demands. We have a lot of anecdotal evidence, a ton of eyewitness sightings, um, legends, native legends in different countries and places around the world that tie into the modern sightings. Very, you know, those collaborate, and then you have a lot, a ton of ambiguous photographic evidence out there, kind of blurry photographs or distant photographs that you can't really say conclusively that they show anything. Um, and there's real no physical evidence. So, I mean, you can't really say a, you know, a cryptid moves into the domain of a, of a, a, a real species, a valid species, once you have a bone or some remains or some hair. I mean, not even beyond hair, probably skin and hair, you know. DNA. Right. So we right. don't have any of that. So, I mean, when you say there's findings, you know, there aren't any findings. There's a lot of sightings and there's a lot of speculation and theories that, you know, kind of evolve and develop out of those sightings and uh, accounts. 
And why do you think that is, that we don't have any physical proof? Well, I think uh, two things. Uh, we can, you know, of course, we'll go ahead and dispense of the ocean-dwelling cryptids. You've got things like, you know, the Loch Ness Monster and sea serpents and lake monsters, sea monsters all over the world. Well, the oceans, which cover about 71% of our surface, average about 12,000 feet deep. So that's very, very deep, which means that there are all kinds of things even deep in the ocean, and even the most conservative scientists will admit this, but there are all kinds of things in the deep waters that we can't find and for obvious reasons. It's just we don't have the technology or the logistically it's just not easy to do. But when you're talking about land-dwelling cryptids, we'll pick Bigfoot or Yeti as an example. Um, it is mind-boggling that we haven't been able to find some remains or something at this point, but in my own mind, the reasons for that are that, A, they're very intelligent, and I'm not saying as intelligent as us, but definitely more intelligent than other animals, uh, most animals. I think that they have adapted behavior patterns specifically to avoid being found by us, and mm -hmm. that's where the intelligence comes into play. They recognize that Homo sapiens, humans, are their greatest competition and their greatest threat, mm -hmm. and that we would eradicate them if, you know, like we have done many other species and probably did to the Neanderthals and so forth. So, um, so that, you know, I think, in, you know, if you look at the, the, the sightings, the, the database, it seems like they live in the most remote areas that we typically don't go. It seems that they are mostly nocturnal, moving around at night when we're not active, and it seems like that they are um, nomadic quite a bit, moving around. And they're just very aware of us. They're aware when we get close. So, I mean, a lot of accounts, people that have had sightings of Bigfoot or, or Yeti and walked up on them or surprised them, these things seem to move away very quickly. And they're also very good at kind of vanishing into the woods because when, they're, when they feel they're being seen or observed, they can remain very still and stand behind trees blend in, which many animals are capable of doing that and camouflaging themselves. So I think that's why we haven't found them. Now, as far as remains go, people always want to know about that. That's also a good question because these are huge animals, and presumably they've had a breeding population for thousands or millions of years. So at some point you would assume we would find a bone or something. But it is very difficult to find bones uh, in the woods uh, of any animal, you know, I mean, I say any other animal besides like a deer, a squirrel, something that a raccoon, something that's hit by a car or shot by a hunter or killed by a dog, those remains are a little easier to find. But when you're talking about apex predators like bears, mountain lions, animals like that, you almost never find their remains in the wilderness. They're they're very really? well Yeah, huh? that's true. They those animals typically aren't killed by anything else. They die of natural causes. And when animals die of natural causes, they like to choose the place of their death. They'll often crawl mm -hmm. down in some low brush or underneath something, and they'll hide themselves while they're ailing. And then they die, and once they die, the remains are dispersed quickly by scavengers, uh, vultures, field mice eat on the, on the bones and scatter those, microbes. Okay. So even mm -hmm. a very large animal can vanish. Its remains can vanish very quickly in the wilderness. Um, and, Interesting. Um, yeah, so I mean, those are, and there, there, of course, there are other theories. It's all speculation, ladies, but there, there are people that think that Bigfoot and the Yeti, for example, that they hide their own, the dead of their own, 
you know, if they're able to do that, that they bury their own or hide the remains mm-hmm. from us. So who knows? I mean, that's just speculation, but it's possible. In some Why cases, not? Uh, Why not? And, you know, some people talk, let's go to Bigfoot, for example. Some guests we've had on the show say that Bigfoot is just a, a big, hairy, big-hearted thing, you know, just very uh, loving, compassionate, but stays away from people for the most part. Other mm-hmm. people are saying that they're dangerous and that they have been known. I know there's some Native American stories that have uh, talked about the Bigfoot raiding their camp and stealing children and eating them for food. Mm-hmm. Now, have you heard mm-hmm. any of this lore? Yeah, you're right. I mean, yes, I guess you kind of have mixed opinions. There, there are some. There is some lore, Native American lore, that refer to them as cannibals, Bigfoot creatures, yes, cannibal right. giants that they eat mm-hmm. humans, that they abduct people, um, that they lure people into the wilderness. There are some of those accounts. Um, there are other accounts that basically just portray them. As, other Native traditions that just portray them as another tribe of Indians that are big and hairy and live deep in the woods. Um, as far as modern accounts go, I'm familiar with a few, particularly when I was working up in Alaska um, in 2015. I heard some accounts of, of Bigfoot uh, potentially attacking, killing people, um, abducting people. But those accounts are pretty rare, really. I mean, if you look at the grand scheme of things, there are, for example, about 5,000 well-documented reports <clears throat> now that are you know, pretty – pretty credible and um the vast majority of those when people do see bigfoot bigfoot moves away you know people run across them all the time and they apparently they they, they don't attack they they move away as quickly mm-hmm. as possible so um the few accounts where people were potentially i say attacked um they you know, often was a case where they almost ran into the Bigfoot and or maybe walked up on it and startled it. Now, if you do that to any animal, if any animal is surprised or cornered, it's going to react in a, in a defensive way. Uh, but what's interesting is you have two other dynamics in play. Um, there are many, many accounts and Indian legends of Bigfoot throwing stones at people. Yes, so, yes. Yeah, that's a very common thing that's been reported for generations, that they are stone throwers, large stones. We're talking about huge, not little rocks and pebbles, but like boulders and just huge basketball-sized rocks. Now, that could be absolutely perceived as a threatening gesture if something like that flies at you out of the woods. Um, But it seems to be more of a territorial thing where they are basically just trying to drive humans away from them, their areas, which that would make sense. And I don't know of anyone actually being hit by one of these rocks. Some people have come close, but that's been reported. Um, Aggressive vocalizations like screams and yells. And there are many people that have claimed they've been chased by Bigfoot and that as fast as Bigfoot was moving, it should have caught them, but it didn't. It kind of Ah. chased them. And uh, Mm -hmm. there are even a few accounts where people claim that they, they ran out of wind and they would stop, and then the Bigfoot would stop and wait for them to start mm. moving away again. So that is that all implies kind of a territorial uh, posture where they're just basically just trying to shoo people away or get people out of their areas. I don't. I'm not necessarily an advocate of theories that they, on a regular basis, that they attack people, kill people, eat people, or any of that stuff. 
Right, it doesn't seem to hold water. There is a 411, missing 411 story, though, that I'm sure you heard about, where a little boy went missing, and there were some hikers uh, quite far away from the point of origin where he disappeared that looked up on top of this cliff and saw a big, hairy thing carrying something over its shoulder, which they thought was this little boy. So... Hmm. There's that, you know, to consider. And, again, some people say, well, it's not a real Bigfoot. It's a wild man or it's a Tragon, which is something that was left here by the aliens. And they are aggressive, mm-hmm. but they're not Bigfoot. So, again, who knows? But there are stories about this, and they never found the little boy. Uh, he was, mm-hmm. He's gone forever. So those are kind of kind of troubling stories, and no matter who's doing it. Now, what about Dogman? Is Dogman perceived as an aggressive animal also that you have to watch out for? Yeah, well, first, a dis- first a disclaimer. Um, Dogman, cryptozoology evolved from traditional zoology uh, back starting back in the 1950s, and it's, through the years it's always been about undiscovered animals. That's the, the whole concept. Now, undiscovered animals would imply that it's, an, it's a, something that maybe – is rep- represented in the fossil history that may have that we you know thought died out or went extinct, but it's still around. With regard mm-hmm. to Bigfoot, there are things that look like Bigfoot that did live millions of years ago and thousands of years ago. So Bigfoot mm-hmm. seems very viable because you did have it's a hominid. It's a big. People describe it as having man-like, ape-like kind of a mixture. So that could exist. Dogman is a pariah of sorts. It is, there's no way that you could have a hybrid of a human and a dog. Uh, humans and canids evolved from separate lineages starting like 50 million years ago, and there's nothing human-like about dogs or canids, and there's nothing really mm-hmm. canid-like about humans. So the whole notion of a dogman, you're not really dealing, I don't consider dogman a traditional cryptid. It's a creature. It's a mysterious creature that people report, a monster if you want. And um, but you know I don't I'm not poo-pooing the reports. There are obviously a lot of sightings accounts. Uh, I've spoken with many eyewitnesses who had experiences with these things. So these are valid encounters with something. Uh, but I do, what I'm getting at is I don't think it's a flesh and blood animal. So um, I think it's something more spectral or kind of metaphysical in nature uh, that has a physical presence. Uh, that said, they are very aggressive. There are many, many more accounts in the dogman lore of them attacking people, being aggressive to people. Um, they seem to always want to chase people, and uh, you know, as a, the opposite of Bigfoot. Instead of moving away, they seem to move towards people and chase them. Uh, I've had some creepy accounts lately of people that claim that they've seen dogman peeking in their window at night, grimacing at them. Ooh. So. So yes, they're very Not scary. They're, they're very, very scary, and there's an interesting parallel because if you look at accounts of flying humanoids, and I've written a book about these flying humanoids, like the Mothman, for example, another mm-hmm. impossible creature. Um, very similar behavior patterns. Mothman was often seen popping up, surprising people, chasing them, chasing their cars. Um, and it seemed to, very much like the dog man, it seemed to almost feed off of people's fear. Like it, that's what drove them. 
So, you know, there's all kinds of, you can speculate, and I'm sure there'll be all kinds of interesting theories like about that, but I just find it interesting that when, with regard to these different types of kind of impossible man-beast hybrid type creatures, they seem to behave in very unnatural ways. Most animals, I don't think, would chase humans. They are typically very shy and retreating, whereas these things are very aggressive, which is another reason I think that they are somewhat supernatural in, in nature. And do you think that they might be coming in from other dimensions? I mean, they seem to be able to appear and disappear, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a quick yep. entrance, quick exit. And that's, that's been said about Bigfoot, too, that some people, I know there was a photograph taken by a woman who was hunting, and I'm, you probably have seen it, where all of a sudden everything went quiet. She was uh, sitting up in the tree in her, in her hunting staging, and she got really nervous at this struck her that something was really wrong and and she ended up taking pictures and her husband who happened to be an expert in this type of photography uh, came out with all these different anomalies about this photograph but it, it looked like some type of portal and this thing was in it so I don't know it just seems like they're able to come in and out of this reality that may be why we don't find them Easily because well, that, they can. That's a very. I'm sorry. Phase out. Well, they that's can a very small out. percentage of of these sightings. I know people often ask me about Bigfoot. Is Bigfoot interdimensional and travel through porter, portals, extraterrestrial? Right. Almost every person that asks me about that comes from the paranormal field or the UFO field. So they mm-hmm. already, um, in my opinion, have a little bit of a bias, a little bit of a filter, or lean towards things that are paranormal or UFO related in nature. Now, there mm-hmm. are some accounts like that, but I'm just, again, looking at 5,000 sightings, you're probably talking about less than 1% of the sightings that include vanishing. Virtually mm-hmm. every person that I've ever interviewed said it just walked away. <laughs> you know, it walked away into the woods or <laughs> went into the bush, which Bye. is exactly yeah. what an animal does. So now that doesn't mean that maybe there's some accounts of Bigfoot that are, you know, maybe a small percentage that do have some of that kind of as you're you know suggesting some type of interdimensional uh, thing now as far as interdimensional with dogman mothman yeah i mean if you want to characterize it that way some people say that they're demonic extraterrestrial interdimensional all of those things can have very similar meanings it just basically means they are not from here (laughs) coming from somewhere else and they are Mm -hmm. vanishing without a trace and, you know, again, there's a whole other level on Dogman. You have all these levels of weird people. Uh, Linda Godfrey, of course, is the, the seminal expert on the Dogman, has written most of the important books and, and done the research. And uh, she's associated a lot of these sightings with weird mists, kind of phantom mists and oh. other strange phenomena. Mm-hmm. People that have encountered them claim that they've had kind of residual attachments where they've had – poltergeist activity at their house or weird things happening after their experiences. So to me, that all indicates it's something, you know, kind of paranormal in nature. Uh, With Bigfoot, there may be a very small percentage of that. But again, I I promise you, the vast majority of sightings of Bigfoot, it's always behaving in a completely natural way. It's walking through the woods. It's drinking from a pond. And it doesn't Mm -hmm. vanish into thin air. It usually just walks off into into the wilderness somewhere. Interesting. Now, that's a very, very good differentiation that you've made, a distinct difference that's important. Now, 
like this oh gosh there's so much to talk about in this field <laughs> yeah. uh it's like where do you yeah. go next now you've worked on wolfman stories also right werewolves what do you have to say about that one well i think we're we're kind of talking about the same thing here dogman is a same thing it's still dogman kind of it's a newer version of a werewolf. I mean, werewolf basically means in German, you know, where is man and wolf is, is wolf, which is a dog. So um, what I've done as far as my – the main thing I did was uh, in 2008, I traveled to France and did an investigation of something called the Beast of Gévaudan, a very famous legend in France. It's an old story. It dates back to the 1760s. But a, an animal that was essentially described as a werewolf uh, uh, attacked and killed anywhere from 60 to 100 people. And I've stood in a semi, small cemetery full of its victims. It was, this was well documented. The animal was described as looking kind of like a wolf but much larger, um, about the size of a calf. It supposedly had very pointy ears, a long tail, uh, big fangs, and kind of a thing going down its back, kind of a frill, I guess, uh, or a stripe, and it would move uh, incredibly fast. It was it killed people in horrible ways. It would devour them. It would decapitate them. Most oh. of its victims were, were women and children. Um, mm-hmm. There was ultimately this thing. You oh. know, it was a, a horrifying thing. In fact, it put it, it pushed the whole nation of France into mass hysteria. France was already very unstable at this time. There was a lot of civil unrest, a lot of poverty, uh, class battles, and um, a lot of poor, you know the, a lot of the poor people lived in the south of France in the mountains where this thing was on a rampage. Uh, oh my so God. King Louis the Fifth, King Louis the Fifteenth at the time, uh, dispatched soldiers and hired professional wolf hunters and uh, really tried to you know appease the the, the hysteria by trying to track this thing down for three years. And um, finally, in 1767, a a gentleman named Jean Chastel, uh, a local hunter, shot this thing, uh, allegedly with a silver bullet that he had blessed by a priest. That is, incidentally, the first reference ever to a silver bullet in association with a werewolf. That's where it comes from. That's where it came from. It subsequently Mm. appeared in literature and movies and stuff uh, umpteen times, but... Uh, he shot this thing, and um, the body was paraded around. The body of this creature was paraded around through the villages for a while to just kind of put people's minds at ease. Hey, we, we got it. It's gone. This is it. And then they right. ultimately took it took it to Paris to show it to King Louis the Fifteenth. Well, by that time it was rotting and kind of rancid. And so when they brought this stinking <laughs> not, not a pretty of this animal in before the king, he just said, "Get rid of that thing." and the, no one really knows where the remains were disposed of, so that was. It's kind of a. It's a fascinating saga. It includes possible conspiracies by the that involved the Roman Catholic Church at that time, perhaps the king. Um, people wonder if it was. You know, a lot of it was invented by the powers that be in in sort of a way to keep people in line, to keep them. You know, to keep the masses in line. Like, hey, you need us. You know, we're protecting you from this werewolf. Right. Uh, right. Certainly, fear has a, a, a always been kind of a control thing, particularly back in that time period. Um, some people think there was a serial killer on the loose, and that maybe there were some attacks by a creature or wolves, rabid wolves, but that somebody was 
you know, basically killing uh, these people and, and trying to pass it off as the work of an animal. So there's a lot of different theories. It's very famous in France. You'll find in the south of France, in the Auvergne region where this thing was uh, on a rampage, you'll find statues and museums. and um, But that's really my, my main research with regard to something that could be considered a true werewolf. Yeah. Yeah, that's wow. I mean, to kill that meant that was a lot of people to kill back oh, then. Yeah. Sixty Definitely. lot of people. Yeah, My it goodness. was. It was almost like every day there was a, a new body being found. And again, it was weird. Mm-hmm. Was you know, it was attacking and preying on women and children that were tending to herds of of animals. Typically, in that day and age, in those areas, the men would go off and do hard labor somewhere where the women and children would ha- would tend to the small flocks of sheep or cattle or whatever they had and mm-hmm. take them grazing by the woods. And that's the creature was preying on these women and children. What's curious is that it never attacked the livestock. There are no accounts of it ever attacking the, the, the abundant sheep and calves, which is a very that weird, is weird thing. Yeah, so yes, it you is. Would, you would expect it to, to do that. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's to this day it's still a mystery, and obviously it's a very – cold case so it would be very hard at this now, point I yeah. think to, did it, to come up with a definitive did they just, did they just kill the, the children and women or did they mutilate them or did they ravage them you know whatever they uh, were always the people were always mutilated the the deaths were always very mm-hmm. grisly it disemboweled people just decapitated oh, wow. tore off limbs uh, yeah they oh. were always very grisly grisly or the, yeah. the cheapest. Devoured. Is, that was a word that was strange. used a lot. It devoured this person. Mm-hmm. It devoured that person. So, Oh, my God. Wow. Well, you know, we had something happen here in a town uh, nearby. But it was reported in the local news that they had a small horse in a barn. And something came into the barn and lifted the horse up over the stall door. And wow. took it out and killed it. Now I'm thinking. I mean, they all they said, well, maybe it was a bear. They didn't have a trail cam on the area, but I'm thinking, what kind of bear has that kind of upper body strength to lift a 500 pound horse yeah. out of its pen? I mean, to me, that just didn't even make sense. <laughs> so I don't know. What are your thoughts on that one? Yeah, that's that's definitely a, a head scratcher, and really don't. I mean, I'm not a admittedly not a horse person, but I think don't they typically weigh more than that, like 800 to you know? Yeah, they have quite heavy, quite heavy horse, huge animals. So small, depending on the on the breed or or whatever. But yeah, um, but I'm thinking, my God, you know, the, to for something to be able to go and pick this thing up and and bring it over, I don't know. It just to me sounded yeah. like there was something other than a bear Very. involved. Yeah, that would be. Yeah. Un- I wouldn't expect a bear to do that. And even the biggest cats in North America, the biggest recognized cats in North America, would be like a, a mountain lions. A mountain lion wouldn't have the strength mm-hmm. to do that. I don't even think a no. huge tiger would no. be able to do that. Maybe no. So not, I not think. Like that. I mean, if I guess if you wanted to ascribe to the, you know, and put that one in the Bigfoot category, if a, a Bigfoot probably weighs about a thousand pounds, a big one. But still, that's not mm-hmm. um, most not predators. Most predators out there will always go with the easiest meal, you know. So, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, even large animals like bears and mountain lions, they typically are eating smaller mammals. They're not – it's rare, but every once in a while they'll attack something larger like an elk 
never a moose, but you know, <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's really hard yeah. for me to imagine something that would choose a horse as prey. So that yeah. is that is definitely a mystery. I mean, whatever did that is uh, doesn't make any sense. It's uh, no. a complete unknown. And- and my heart goes our hearts go out to the owners of of their pet i mean that's a a terrible thing to go through and i know all of us yeah. that are animal lovers we love our mm-hmm. animals and our pets like they are children so it's a terrible thing that happened but it just mm-hmm. wasn't adding up to me so i had to mention it to you <clears throat> tonight it was just a couple towns over from where i am so anyhow but people said they wow. saw coyotes feeding on it later and then the bear came around but you know they're thinking that the bear came back i don't know if it was a bear but mm, i would doubt that that a bear would do that yes yeah. yes i doubted that too maybe now, a polar bear <laughs> yeah species. i know now you're talking took a sled I down yeah. yep. yes oh, yes Lord. i i had a friend who uh was the head of one of the big oil companies up there and in Canada. And he told me stories about how the guys would be out checking the oil fields and they would be on their snowmobiles and the polar bears would come alongside and just pull them right off the snowmobile and take off and nobody could catch them. Oh, yeah. that That is a scary animal right there. Yes, yes. <laughs> Have you ever run into one, Ken? No, no, I have never never seen a bear. When I was in Alaska, I was in, uh, I wasn't quite in their range or habitat. So I, I, we almost went up to Barrow and Nome and some of those areas. They have polar bears, but no, I've never seen one or encountered one of those in the wild. But uh, they have a saying in Alaska with regard to bears. There's three species: black, brown, brown or grizzly, and polar. And mm-hmm. the saying is, if it's black, fight back. If it's brown, lay down. Polar bear, say a prayer. Which you know, mm. is, oh wow, kind of that says a lot. You you would have no choice. Polar bears weigh about fifteen hundred pounds. They are extremely aggressive. They're the apex land predators on the planet. So you wouldn't wow. want, definitely wouldn't want to cross one. Mm-mm. No. Well, I have a lot of text questions coming in for you, Ken, about Mothman and, and other chupacabra. They want to talk about chupacabra. So we're going to take a very short commercial break, everybody. And we'll come back and talk about all of these cryptids that we really want to know more about. This is an exciting show with Ken Gerhard. Again, he's a star of a new travel channel show called In Search of Monsters. Make sure you check it out. It's great. And we will be right back. Pure essential oil, specialized minerals, and a revolutionary anti-aging technology. Astridium combines the best of all scientifically proven ingredients in easy-to-use creams, lotions, and concentrated serums. Astridium's advanced line of products take your skin to a new level of being healthy and beautiful. We offer a variety of collections that address all your skin concerns. The Essential Anti-Aging Series treats and moisturizes your skin for a long-lasting, younger look. The Multivitamin Series promotes healthy skin with high-quality vitamins and minerals. The Sports Series restores skin from cellular damage and stress. Astridian also offers a revitalizing solution for hair and a professional series for doctors and medical spas. Visit astridian.love today and begin your new journey to healthy, beautiful, youthful skin. Astridian, 
Beyond Your Expectations. Are you ready for a new experience of freedom and powerful connection? Would you like a positive, effortless change in your life? Then come to CosmicFusion.com, where we offer the most advanced energy clearing and expansion techniques in the world with a quantum vortex energy to activate your divine blueprint and life's purpose. When your soul leads the way with cosmic fusion and quantum vortex energy, you can break clear of past difficulties and blocks with the power of the source. With Cosmic Fusion, the source energy does the work for you. It's easy and effortless. Listen to our free meditation right from our Cosmic Fusion website, the Cosmic Code Meditation. Sign up for one of our interactive webinars today. Come to Cosmic Fusion, www.kosmicfusion.com to experience an effortless awakening and transformation. Are you ready for an upgrade? Are you ready for a new experience of living in the fifth dimensional magic and powerful connection? Then visit CosmicFusion.com today. CosmicFusion.com Your property tax bill. Have you seen it lately? It's frightening. Your property taxes are going up while your home value is going down. It's time to fight back and win. For the real truth about the property tax system, get Attorney Pat Quintilian's book, Are You Getting Screwed on Your Property Taxes? How to Find Out and How to Fix It. Attorney Quintilian answers all your questions and gives you the facts you need to fight a property tax bill that is spiraling out of control. You'll also read about what happens to property owners who don't check their property records only to find out too late they're taxed on square footage, fixtures, and even buildings that they don't own. Is this happening to you? Learn your rights. Buy Attorney Pat Quintilian's book today. Are you getting screwed on your property taxes? How to find out and how to fix it. Available on Amazon.com. Welcome back, everyone, to Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker. We are here with PK tonight and our great guest, Ken Gerhard. We're talking about all kinds of monsters. But before we go back to the conversation, I just wanted to mention to everybody, if you go to estridian.love, great, great line of skincare, everybody. High mineral content, all natural. And our listeners get 10% off. Just use the code SUPERNATURAL. They'll also send you free samples. So make sure you visit their site, astridian.love. That's their new site. Their products are tremendous. And they are our sponsor. So be sure to pay them a visit. Try their products. They're tremendous. So, Ken, here are a ton of questions coming in to you <laughs> about all, right. all of these cryptids. Um, okay. Chupacabra. They want to mm-hmm. know, where is Chupacabra being sighted lately? Um, that's a good question. I haven't really gotten any recent chupacabra sightings, to be honest with you. Um, the most recent sightings I'm familiar with were in Mexico, uh, in central Mexico, maybe two or three years ago. There were some livestock killings, and um, I was getting some sightings from down there. Um, more recently, 
there are, believe it or not, there have been sightings of an animal being called a chupacabra in Russia, of all places. That's kind of unexpected because you, you obviously is. have a long tradition in history in Latin America, from Puerto Rico to Nicaragua, Mexico, Chile, and all those countries. Um, but yeah, there's a, I, I know there's a group of investigators in Russia uh, that have been dealing with an animal that's been allegedly attacking and killing livestock in the in the kind of the trademark chupacabra fashion, which is drinking the blood of, of an, small farm animals. Uh, and there have some hairs found, supposedly, and those hairs were being analyzed, uh, DNA tested by a, a geneticist at uh, the University of Freiburg in Switzerland, uh, a guy named Michele Debeli, and uh, I haven't heard from him lately, uh, but uh, that was the last kind of flap I heard about was in Russia, don't have a lot of details, and then you know, again, central Mexico, where I investigated, I believe in 2014, there were some uh, some chupacabra uh, killings um, potentially down there as well. Now, Mothman also be taking a break. <laughs> yeah, he's taking <laughs> a break. Well, he probably taking a break right now. Over there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of controversy about Mothman. And one of the questions that just came in is about, obviously, the bridge collapse. And some people think he caused it. Some people think he was just there to watch. What's your take on this? I know you've been to the Mothman Festival. Um, what do you think happened there? And what yeah, is the Mothman? I've, I've been up there a few times to Point Pleasant. And, of course, it's a very small town. And many people were profoundly affected by that tragedy, which was the collapse of the Silver Bridge on December mm-hmm. 15, 67, 46 people drowned. Uh, everyone in that town still uh, perceives a connection between the Mothman and the bridge collapse because of the timing. Mothman appeared about, you know, just over a year, a year, a month, and a day uh, before the bridge collapse. Uh, there were many, many sightings over that period, and then following the bridge collapse, it, it seemed to die out a little bit. Um, so, but, you know, there are different opinions. I think the prevalent theory or opinion is that Mothman was there to warn people, like kind of a premonition. And there's a there's a precedent for that, because when you look at flying humanoids, things like Mothman in antiquity, you have things, uh, you have, for example, Pazuzu, uh, which was an ancient uh, Sumerian demon that was a premonition of catastrophic events. Uh, it was a, a man-like form with a dog's head and wings. And then in Scotland, you have something called the Scree. Uh, the Scree was basically considered to be kind of a flying witch or mothman-type creature that was a prem, you know, that was for, foreboding an omen of things. So you have that kind of long-standing tradition that winged creatures or monsters are warnings. Um, I know there are theories about the Mothman actually causing the bridge collapse. Um, I don't know if that's the majority opinion. Um, I, you know, there have also been kind of ambiguous accounts of Mothman appearing before 9/11 and uh, Fukushima oh, really? and Chernobyl and all these other catastrophes. But I've never seen any or heard of any evidence of that. They're usually just rumors kind of floating around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the timing is a coincidence for sure, and. Um, uh, I, you know, you can speculate, but I, I would say that more than anything, it, it, it seems like Mothman was somehow there 
uh, as kind of a, a premonition, an omen, a harbinger of, of the bridge collapse. That's the most prevalent yeah. view. I would go along with that. That feels true. Now, somebody else wants to know, how tall is Mothman? How big? Uh, six and a half feet is the most standard estimate. So like that's a, a pretty like a large... Tall, tall man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he never hurt anybody, did he? Uh, not that we know of. Uh, there were, again, accounts of him chasing uh, the initial case that was very famous uh two couples young couples roger linda scarberry Stephen mary mallet were chased uh by this thing at speeds approaching 100 miles an hour for several miles uh chased their car um there's another account of it chasing a car uh there's an account of it popping up right behind a woman who is holding a this is probably the the closest to that would be there was a woman named uh martella bennett who was holding a three-year-old infant, and this mothman rose up right behind her as she got out of a car. And according to her, the, the, these giant red luminous eyes put her into kind of a, a trance. And oh, she geez. just co- collapsed on top of this three-year-old and almost suffocated the the poor oh little kid until she, until she got her senses back. So that, that was those are the most <clears throat> common. Now, even scarier than the mothman, people were really scared of the quote unquote men in black, uh the yes. MIBs, which mm-hmm. which are not at all like uh portrayed in the movie with Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones. No, uh, no not at were, all. They look a little these different. were almost uh-huh. very unhuman figures. They 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 looked human but they had inhuman qualities and they were very menacing and they would visit many of the people involved in Mothman sightings, uh eyewitnesses or investigators um, and they wouldn't, you know, basically threaten them or intimidate them. And so I think more people were scared of these men in black at the time than the Mothman itself. What do you think they are, Ken? These are bizarre, bizarre humanoid things. What do you think they are? The men in black? Yes. Um, well, it's not really my main area of expertise. I would, if you were here, I would defer to my, my good friend, Nick Redfern, who's written some excellent books. Oh, yeah, we love Nick. But I've I've heard Nick speak about it quite a bit, and uh, I've heard his lectures and read the books, and you know he he kind of portrays them as almost like ET like. They're very pale. They speak in a very strange, slow, broken English, like as if they're struggling with speaking, almost a mechanical kind of uh, tone. Or some people say they sound um, just very foreign, very foreign sounding, uh, very. Uh, they, you know, they always seem to be kind of a little bit out of place. Uh, for example, their their clothing they would wear was a little bit out of style, or the car that they was driving, which was often uh, in really good condition, was kind of an older car, you know, a classic car. Um, the one of the weirdest Men in Black accounts is uh, uh, this Men in Black man in Black uh, allegedly visited some Mothman witnesses and. They always portray themselves as being with the government or being in some official capacity, and that's how people are kind of welcoming them into their homes. But uh, this man in black with a fedora and a black Mm. suit or whatever was interviewing these people, and they thought he was very strange-looking for whatever reason. And at some point, he kind of – his pant leg lifted up a little bit, and one of the uh, ladies present said she could see some weird tubes uh, that were running alongside his body as if, you know, he was kind of – 
biomechanical or something. So that that's kind of the weirdest story that I'm familiar with. But um, uh, I think they're definitely, uh, according to Nick, they're something. Many of these men in black are either supernatural in some way. They're you know perhaps interdimensional or extraterrestrial or just just not of this earth. But they uh, somehow uh, involve themselves in kind of these weird creature cases. And UFO yes. sightings, of course. And it's so strange. I mean, you have to think about their motivation. What would motivate them or order them, if they're soldiers, to basically threaten people that have seen Mothman or ETs or whatever? I mean, they they always, mm-hmm. you know, they they come. They're not there to just be friendly. They're they're not friendly. I had a story come to me from a Canadian filmmaker years ago, and he was given a tape from a pilot who had filmed from his commercial airliner a UFO with the occupants inside. So it was a mm. great tape. And mm-hmm. he gave it to this filmmaker who had a tel- his own television show, and he said, here you go, go ahead and air it. Well, all of a sudden, he got a visit. He sees First he sees a van sitting outside, then this uh, man in black comes to the door. I think there were two of them. But what he did was interesting. He said... They seemed robotic, so he just kind of tried to scramble their brains. So they would say something like, "Did you, do you have a tape here? And he would say, I have fried chicken. Would you like fried chicken? You know, it's like he would answer it in a totally weird way, so it made mm. no sense. And he said that it just scrambled them, and they didn't know what to do. But they finally got their wits back about them, and they threatened him, and they said, if you show that tape, you will never see your son again. And his son was eight oh, years wow. old. Yeah. So wow. that he said he put the tape away, locked it away in a safe somewhere. I don't think anybody's ever seen it because he was so afraid, you know, of that threat that they would kidnap his son, and that would be it. So, mm. yeah, it was pretty nasty, pretty nasty stuff. And I just, I don't get why, you know, it's like, what's their involvement in all of this? Mm-hmm. We certainly know that the government cover-up, and that's my next question, and also people are texting in about that. Are you aware right. of any information about the government knowing about these cryptids and keeping it hidden? I mean, I've heard stories. Um, the most interesting ones that I've heard is that I've I've been contacted, for example, by... Uh, there was a, a soldier who was stationed at a base in North Carolina, or maybe it was Georgia, who wrote me years ago and told me that the official field manual that they used in this particular, and it was like a wooded location where they would do training, uh, that there was an official field manual that mentioned that people, you know, what to do if you ran across a Bigfoot in that area. So that was an, a, a, supposedly an acknowledgement that they were there. The, the military knew they were there, but they were just basically briefing the soldiers on how to react. Now, I've never seen that manual, and no one could. the guy didn't have a copy, and no one's been able to produce that, so it's just a secondhand story. Uh, but you hear those sometimes where people say that you know, the government um, has references to Bigfoot or Sasquatch in some of their kind of secret field manuals and things like that. Um, interestingly enough, there is actually an official uh, uh, recognition of Bigfoot in uh, Skamania County in Washington State. There's an ordinance that's been in place since 1969 that basically you can be fined or jailed for harming a Bigfoot. So there you have oh, an example no. of, of a government openly 
acknowledging that something might be out there in their county and that there's a penalty if you if you harass one. So that's kind of interesting. That's not a cover up at all, right? <laughs> just kind of coming out. Yeah, really. It's very unusual. Um, beyond <laughs> that, you know, I know I I know there are people who have said that you know the the military knows or logging companies are trying to cover it up or uh, that you know there are bodies hidden somewhere. I don't personally. I'm not a huge advocate or I don't really prescribe to conspiracy theories. I think a lot of that is just kind of a, uh, I don't know, just a kind of a made-up element of a lot of these stories. And, you know, not to be too cynical, but my main reason for saying that, particularly when people talk about the government covering things up, I mean, honestly, people, the government, our government, <laughs> you know, it seems like they're not able to do anything right now. They can't do anything. So you're going to tell me that they're going to cut, somehow cover up something like Bigfoot or UFOs for decades or generations and suppress all that information with all the leaks and infighting? Yeah, it's just I don't – I you know, and hopefully that doesn't come off in, a, in the wrong way, but I really don't no. see our government as being capable of very, very covering up anything way. as well, significant as Bigfoot or UFOs. Government. It might not be our government. It might be something else. That is involved with with all of these kinds of things. Yeah, there, well, yeah there was a yeah, very anything's, anything's possible. Certainly, anything yeah, possible. It is, you know, it's like, but you may raise a good point, and I think a lot of people share your feelings and also have uh, been able to identify that there is some other group uh, involved with maybe some of this kind of thing. Uh, I mean, there are groups that are always looking to weaponize stuff, you know, and I can imagine, mm-hmm. you know, if they want, they use dolphins and whales, for God's sake. So, you mm-hmm. know, there may be groups that want to get a hold of a Bigfoot and weaponize a Bigfoot. I don't know, but it, it isn't outside of the realm of possibility. That's for sure. Now, somebody's also writing in about prehistoric types of birds that have been spotted. Mm-hmm. Are you have those types of reports also? Yeah, that's a, a main focus of my research, But I, sh- I anything with wings. But I should clarify, they don't really mean birds. I think they're what they're referring to are flying reptiles known as pterosaurs. Uh, the most uh, commonly known types were like the pterodactyls, which were the later, the bigger, later types. Um, so they looked somewhat like birds. I mean, they had wings. They were adapted for flight, but they were definitely reptiles. They had different adaptations than than modern birds. Um, But I do get, you know, supposedly they went extinct. These pterosaurs went extinct about 65 million years ago at the end of the Cretaceous extinction event alongside the dinosaurs. Uh, Mm. But I do get a lot of sightings still of, and some very recent in fact. I was up in Oklahoma recently investigating some sightings of a pterosaur type creature flying around so these things absolutely should not exist uh there's no trace of them in the fossil history beyond 65 million years ago um but the people i've interviewed and there have been dozens of people that claim to have seen them are adamant that they are not birds that they are not anything known that they are in fact these prehistoric flying reptiles they have kind of leathery bat-like wings membranous wings they often have teeth. They often have kind of a pointy crest on the back of their head and a very long, some people also describe them as having kind of a long snake-like tail with a little flange on the end, and that was a feature of certain types of, of pterosaurs. So that, that is something that I, I've collected quite a lot of accounts and written about in, in most of my books. 
Gosh, yeah, that is something. And how, what's the what's the wingspan that's reported on these things? Well, there's quite a range. Um, some people report smaller wingspans ranging about five to six feet across, and then mm-hmm. other people have said that they are, you know, enormous and that they have wingspans like 20 feet across or more. And it should be noted that the largest flying pterosaur ever was Quetzalcoatlus, which uh, its fossils were discovered in Texas here in the 1970s. It had a wingspan of about 40 feet across. Oh, my God. Literally the the largest flying thing ever on the face of the planet. It was basically the size of an airplane. It was huge. Yeah. Very lightweight, very lightweight, just like birds. You know, these things Mm. were were huge and big, but they probably had hollow bones and were very aerodynamic. Incredible. But there you go. You found they found some bones. That's always a good thing. Now, the Australian outback, you've been there. What kinds mm-hmm. of cryptids do they report seeing there? Well, Australia has a pretty rich uh, and diverse group of cryptids. The most commonly reported things in Australia are like Bigfoot. Uh, they have something down there they call it the Yowie. Um, or in olden days, they call it the Yahoo, but it's basically like a big Bigfoot-type thing. Uh, there's also a miniature version, a pygmy-sized version called the Junjeree, which are basically like little hairy men. Um, <laughs> in addition to those, and th- those are actually all over North America as well. Littlefoot, I guess really? that's what I, I call those things. Oh. Little pygmy-sized versions of Bigfoot. They are only about three feet tall, probably something different, but hairy and and walking upright like us. Um, And then also in Australia, they have um, sightings of something called a bunyip. And when I was in Australia, I heard these stories. A bunyip is kind of a lake monster, so it would be similar maybe to a Nessie or something like that. Uh Um, They have those in some of the lakes. Uh, There's also um, accounts of giant kangaroos uh, or marsupial-type animals perhaps related to Diptronodon, which was a giant wombat that lived there a long time ago. And um, my favorite one is probably a giant lizard has been reported in parts of, of uh, Queensland and elsewhere. And it's uh, uh, by, when I say a giant lizard, I mean like a 20-foot-long lizard. And um, those are perhaps related to ancient lizards called Megalania, which lived on the continent there thousands of years ago. Oh, and I almost forgot, the thylacine, or Tasmanian tiger. Uh, This is a wolf-like animal uh, with stripes. That's why they call it a tiger. It's not a cat, but it's not even really a a dog either. It's uh, actually a a carnivorous kangaroo. uh, It looks like a wolf, but it's it's a marsupial, so it's got a pouch, and uh, it... uh, lived in Australia thousands of years ago and in Tasmania up until the 1930s when they were eradicated in Tasmania. But there's still a lot of uh, sightings of these animals running around. So Australia has a pretty wide range of things that are being reported. It's it's kind of a cool place. Yeah, very cool. And you've been to Machu Picchu, and did you find any stories there that were interesting? Well, I was very young when I was... um, in Machu Picchu, so I was a, a kind of an adolescent. So at that time, I was interested in cryptozoology, but I did not hear about any uh, in that particular region. I didn't hear about any of those creatures. Now, on that same trip, my family also traveled to the Amazon. We got to camp along the Peruvian Amazon, 
um, the Manuas River for for several days. And there we heard accounts of something called the Mapinguai, which is basically some people view it as kind of a Bigfoot, an ape-like creature, and then other people say that it's more like a giant sloth. Um, hmm. Kind of, again, you know, a lot of our cryptids, we look back to the past for possible explanations. And uh, in South America, during the Ice Age, the Pleistocene, and really into North America, too, we had these giant land sloths. They were about as big as bears, uh, but they were sloths. Um, Xenarthrans is the superorder, Xenarthra, and they, you know, they were big, scary beasts. There was one called Mylodon that was about six feet tall, and then there was one called Megatherium that was as big as an elephant. It was about 12 feet tall. And um, so some people have kind of linked these Mapinguai sightings to these perhaps giant sloths perhaps hiding somewhere or existing in the deep jungle and avoiding detection. So uh, Machu Picchu, though, I I did not hear about any kind of mystery beast from the Andes. That's interesting that Mm -hmm. uh, there may be some things there, but when I was there, I didn't hear about them. Yeah, and this was a part of your early life. I mean, all this great traveling that you did. I mean, camping on the Amazon, that's just really wild. Your parents were very interesting people, too. Yes, my mother, I owe a lot to my mother. She was a travel agent, and she was very adventurous. She loved to travel, and she was uh, always telling me about the Yeti and the Mothman and kind of regaling me with those stories, and then of course, we had a lot of adventures as we traveled around the world together. So it was, it was a very exciting time. Gosh, yeah, what a so, great so way fabulous. to grow up! I know that is amazing. Gosh, mm-hmm. now we've talked about some of the, the the monsters that we've heard about. Tell us about some other ones. I know you mentioned the ones in Australia that were foreign to us. But what else? I mean, are you hearing anything new that's popping up or? Again, anything uh, different that we might not hear about? Um, well, uh, in my latest book, A Menagerie of Mysterious Beasts, I kind of uh, included a lot of the lesser-known mystery creatures. So there's there's some good ones in there. Um, for example, um, there, are, there are many old stories from Northern California that refer to giant salamanders. Um, similar to the giant salamanders of Japan and China, which are like five or six feet long. So there, uh, there have been sightings in Northern California where there, there should not be anything like that. Uh, yeah. Been, go back to the 1920s, 1940s. I've always wanted to, to go up there and investigate those. Um, something called the Loveland Frog is something I've written about in my recent book. Uh, Loveland is a little town outside of uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, on the Little Miami River, and dating back to the 1950s and 70s, there are accounts of a really weird creature there. People say it it kind of looks like a frog or maybe a lizard, but it walks upright like a person. It's kind of a small Oh, my animal. goodness. And oh, there was even in, the 19, in, in March of 72, there were even two police officers that encountered it, and, and one of them opened up upon it and shot at it. And So that's kind of a weird story that I've investigated. Um, giant spiders. Let's talk about that. That's oh people, God! Everyone's worst nightmare, right? Um, it is <laughs> mine. <laughs> in 2011, I interviewed 
actually maybe it was a little bit around that, a little bit later than that. But I interviewed a gentleman from Georgia, and he is a fireman and an EMT emergency worker, saves people's lives for a living, and he's a pretty stand-up guy. And this guy, I interviewed him on the phone for a really long time. He was very convincing, but he swears that he saw a giant spider in his backyard as big as a house cat. And uh, that it was running up a tree while he was mowing the lawn that he bumped into the tree. And this thing, in the corner of his eye, in his peripheral vision, he saw it and he thought maybe it was a squirrel. Mm. And then as he looked at it, he thought it was a bunch of squirrels fighting. And then he finally realized that it was, according to him, a giant spider about 11 inches across. Now, obviously, nothing like that should exist in Georgia. So, I mean, that was a pretty crazy story. Um, but that's a that's a good one that I wrote about in my latest book. Uh, giant wasps, giant moths. I get a lot of those kind of oddball accounts. Thunderbirds is something that I investigate. Thunderbirds are different from the pterosaurs that we discussed earlier. These are actually birds. And uh, they were often referred to in different Native American legends. The name Thunderbird uh, implies or is a reference to the fact that the beating of their wings creates the thunder or is thunderous in sound. And uh, mm-hmm. I have many modern sightings. I've interviewed many, many people that claim to have seen these giant birds, and they say the wingspans are like 15 to 20 feet across. So, I mean, oh, it's truly enormous, big. bigger than any condor or any known bird. Um, black panthers. This is an interesting one. I bet there's someone out there. I would bet there's someone out there listening to your show right now that's seen one of these things because these are very commonly seen, but people don't always realize that these are cryptids. Um, There are many people across North America who have claimed to have seen black panthers, which are jet black cats, very large cats, about as big as a mountain lion. Now, these should not be here. (laughs) There are no black cats. Mountain lions do not get black. There's no documented example ever of a black mountain lion. Um, black or melanism is what it's called. It's a technical name. Is you know when an animal has an excessive buildup of this black pigment in their skin called melanin. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, leopards have it more commonly. So you'll see black leopards at zoos, and oftentimes uh, about 10% of the leopard population in the wild has this melanistic trait or gene um, but we don't have anything like that over here um, there are black jaguars in South America as well not as many as the leopards but leopards and jaguars are the only big cats that have a melanistic phase and there's never been any documented example but still I get a lot of sightings and reports of black panthers people are convinced that what they're seeing look like leopards or jaguars very big powerful cats but jet black and every time I mention this somewhere, there's always someone that comes forward that says, I've seen one of those. I saw one cross the road in front of my car or whatever. And people oh, think wow. it's strange <laughs> or exciting, but I guess most people don't report it because they don't realize that it is a complete unknown. You know, Typically when people see these things, they're surprised. And they think, wow, that's crazy, that a giant black panther. But you know, there, there's nothing like that endemic to North America. So that's a pretty... Interesting cryptid, I think. Now, I heard that there were a lot of sightings in Europe somewhere. Was it in Ireland that they were, or was it in the UK? They were talking about seeing these black panthers just recently. Absolutely, yep. Um, Mostly throughout the United Kingdom, but 
in southern and southwestern England, there have been a lot of these sightings going back to the 70s, 60s and 70s, and there they have localized names. One is called the Beast of Exmoor. One is called the Beast of Bodmin Moor. And both of those are big black cats that have been seen and allegedly killing sheep and livestock in uh, kind of southern and southwestern England. So, But you're right, there are many sightings there. And same thing, there aren't supposed to be any black big black cats over there they um yeah only in asia africa and south america Mm. now somebody has another question about mothman being sighted repeatedly in chicago Mm -hmm. i'm sure that you heard about those sightings what do you think was going on there there were a lot of them i mean like daily almost for a while yeah well that's not uncommon with regard to these flying cryptid or creature flaps um, not to do a play on words there, but that's what we call a, a, you know, well, they use that, I guess, in UFO circles too. But a flap is when you have a lot of sightings in a short period of time. And, of course, that was the case with the original Mothman back in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, starting in the 1966. Uh, you had a lot of sightings in a very short period of time. You've had flaps like that in Mexico that I'm familiar with. Um, in England, there was something called the Owl Man that was seen uh, over a short period of time, multiple times. So it's not uncommon to have a lot of sightings of one of these creatures in a in a specific area, a lot of sightings in a short period of time. Um, that said, um, I have never interviewed personally any of the eyewitnesses in that case. All of the reports that I'm familiar with were documented by a colleague of mine named Lon Strickler, and he runs uh, the Phantoms and Monsters website. And Mm -hmm. Lon was gracious enough to send me a lot of, when he was collecting those initial reports from Chicago, uh, he was kind of funneling those to me and letting me review them. And some were promising, some were kind of ambiguous. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, you you can't rule out um, the element of mass hysteria sometimes. Uh, what you often have in, in these flaps or cases are a few genuine encounters at the front end, and then at that point there's kind of a state of mass hysteria as people learn about it or hear about it, and at that point there are sightings, some sightings that it can be attributed to misidentification of known animals or uh, sometimes, sadly, fabrications where people just make things up uh, right. or hallucinations. So, I mean, most of these cases, I'll give you a perfect example, the Jersey Devil. Back yes. in January of 1909, people began reporting the Jersey Devil, and it turned into a case of mass hysteria throughout southern New Jersey and parts of Pennsylvania. Over a two-week period, there were hundreds of sightings of the Jersey Devil. It was killing people's dogs. It was melting railroad tracks. It was knocking trolley cars off the road. I mean, it was being seen everywhere over that period of time. And then as quickly as it appeared, the thing just kind of vanished. So hmm. um, so I guess that we've come full circle back to our discussion earlier about these things disappearing yeah. somewhere into a portal or dimension or whatever. But um, so, you know, there's no doubt that, you know, again, there are probably some accounts or encounters that are based on something genuine but then you have a lot of the waters always seem to get muddied by all of these other sightings and accounts so uh, but there there probably were you know i i don't doubt that maybe there were some genuine encounters involved in that chicago case 
and uh you know but again i i'm not the 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 point investigator on that so that's about all i can say about it yeah no that's good information now you talked about the men in black what about those black eyed kids oh gosh <laughs> oh yes scary stuff right I'm not yeah. scared of Bigfoot or Dogman or anything else, but the black-eyed kids. Um, all right. Well, this is kind of somber. I don't know if you guys want me to tell this story or not. It's kind of creepy yeah, and kind of somber. Right. No, uh, go for it. Is, I don't get a lot of men in black cases. It's really more of a paranormal thing. Uh, my friend David Weatherly has written a couple of excellent books, and he's really the, the acknowledged expert on the phenomenon. But um, there was a, a gentleman that contacted me. Actually, I was put in touch with a gentleman a few years ago named John Jackson. He was a truck driver. And he, I interviewed him over the phone one evening, and what he told me was he was driving one night in West Texas in a very remote area, middle of the night, 3 in the morning. It's raining outside. <clears throat> Excuse me. Suddenly, he saw three figures walking down towards him on the side of the road, and he thought, well, that's strange. These people must have had a car breakdown, or you know, why are these people out here at three in the morning in the middle of nowhere? And as he got closer, he realized that they were three young people, and they were all wearing identical clothing or uniforms, as he called it, which were black hoodies. And at, he started to get kind of a creepy, uncomfortable feeling. And as he passed these three individuals, he said that one of them looked up at him and pointed at him. And it was at that moment that he realized that this young person had very pale skin and giant black eyes, um, huge black eyes, no whites in them, and pointed at him as he drove past. Well, he was in a state of panic at this point, um, and you know I think this was oh, this was April of 2015, I believe. Well, um, so I interviewed him. I was going to put the story in my book, and then just a few months later, I was contacted by the lady who had put me in touch with him, and she called to inform me that Mr. Jackson was found in his truck and that he was deceased and that he had died of oh. mysterious causes and that nobody oh, knew. Oh, no. boy. So it was what? a really, really sad and kind of a negative story. So at that point, I was reluctant to include the, the account in my book um, and I asked the lady for Guy because she was a friend of his, and she encouraged me and said, no, John would have wanted you to publish that story and mm-hmm. and get it out there. So that's really my only experience with the Men in Black. Um, draw from it what you will, but it's certainly, it's certainly strange that he had this really haunting encounter with these three almost non-human beings, and then just mm-hmm. a few minutes later, you know, tragedy struck. So... Um, might just be a coincidence, but it's a pretty, like I said, a very sad and a very mm. disturbing and creepy story. It really is. And everybody who talks about having something to do with these black-eyed kids says that they're struck with this horrible sense of terror mm. when they yeah. see them. That It's just so visceral that there's something wrong here. And they are often seen hitchhiking, supposedly. And I also mm-hmm. learned that they, they first appeared in West Texas uh, in the town of Abilene, I believe. So they have, you know, everything that he and this guy had no interest in anything weird or unexplained. He was just a, you know, a normal guy, a truck driver that had been on the road his whole life and had seen some things. And this was the most disturbing thing he'd ever encountered. And um, yeah, it's. Uh, I guess the lesson there. 
Not that anybody oh. would, but if you see one of these things hitchhiking, you know, don't stop. Don't, <laughs> Just definitely stop. don't stop. Keep going. Keep, Just keep, keep on going. going. Uh, pedal to the metal on that one. Mm. Yeah, and I, I've heard that they'll come up to you in your car and tap on the window and say they need a ride. So don't let them in your car either, right? No, absolutely not. Yeah. No, they sound not good. I mean, yes, it's and again, we don't have no clue as to what these things are, but the big black eyes, the pale skin, the hoodies, that's all what's described over and over and over again. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's very consistent whatever these things are. And I wonder if they're in some way related to the men in black or if this is a totally different species of terror creatures i don't know yeah it's hard to say again i i I believe nick uh, redfern has drawn some comparisons that there are some similarities between the two phenomenons so there most certainly might be a similar kind of mechanism in play there yes now tell us you've got some new new uh shows coming out on the travel channel what what cryptids Mm -hmm. are you going to be investigating next well, uh, thank you for the plug. Uh, yeah, the new show is In Search of Monsters. Uh, it comes on, well, in about five or six minutes on uh, Travel Channel Yay. every Wednesday night at 9 o'clock Eastern, 8 Central. Um, so far, they've done Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster, Mothman, Jersey Devil. Uh, I appear on almost every episode. I do not think I'm going to be on tonight's episode, which is the Wendigo. The Wendigo is kind of Ooh, a Native American okay. legend of a cannibalistic 15 foot tall cannibal giant i didn't really oh wow hadn't done enough research into the wendigo to uh to feel comfortable so i kind of sat that one out uh but we do have the yeti coming up we were talking about that earlier we have a yeti episode chupacabra episode um and the beast of bray road which is basically the dog man which we were talking about a minute ago mm-hmm. yeah uh the oh, ozark wow. howler Ozark Howler is kind of a black and perhaps similar to the Black Panthers we were talking about, sighted from the Ozark Mountains. And then the last one, I believe, is going to be the Minnesota Iceman, which is a kind of a weird Bigfoot-type creature that was frozen in a block of ice and making the rounds at carnivals and sideshows in the 1960s. So <laughs> oh, my gosh. Near, oh, near and dear God. to my heart. So lots oh, yeah. of stuff coming up. Yeah, oh, that nice. sounds great. Everybody, make sure you tune in or, or yeah, take definitely. these things so you can watch them when you can on the Travel Channel. It's called In Search of Monsters. Ken Gerhardt is one of the stars of this show, and we're, again, so glad you were able to join us. Now, Ken, how can people get a hold of you? Because they might have well, something uh, to report. Absolutely. I appreciate that. Yeah, if anyone would like to talk to me, if they have something they'd like to share, an encounter or a question, Whatever, um, I have a website, KenGerhard.com. Um, I also have a Facebook fan page, Ken Gerhard Cryptozoologist. They can message me on there. And um, I think my email is also, or one of my emails is also listed on that fan, uh, Facebook page. So any one of those ways. Well, that's terrific. I know our audience is always looking to connect with experts in the field when they have their own experience and you are the man to take down this and write about it 
and also maybe give them a little bit of direction, calm them down. <laughs> They're still frightened by it because you <laughs> yes. had a lifetime of this. So you have great experience with, with all of these cryptids and all of the people that have been courageous enough to talk about it because I know sometimes people think it makes them sound like weirdos, but hey, guess what, everybody? You're in good company if you've seen one of these, and maybe you're one of the lucky ones that had a chance to have an experience with a Bigfoot or Mothman or Chupacabra. Just keep your distance, that's all. (laughs) (laughs) And Ken, you have so many, how many books do you have out there now? You have quite a few. Um, Three and a half, and I say that because I co-wrote a (laughs) book. Co-authored one of them with Nick Redfern, but uh, oh, okay. we'll say three and a half, almost four, and then I've got a new one, a new Bigfoot book that I'm working on that I'm going to have out this year. Well, great. Wonderful. We're going to have to have you come back on and talk about that new book, and all of your books are available on Amazon.com, so you can go there and just type in Ken Gerhardt. They will all come up, and we've read them. They're great books and, again, full of incredible information and accounts from all over the world. So very worth the investment. Ken, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. It's really been such fun and so educational about everything that you shared. So thank you, thank you, thank you. We hope you'll come back again when you have the Bigfoot book ready. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me on. Uh, Some great questions. And thanks to everyone who listened in and uh, sent a question into the chat room. I appreciate it. Well, I mesmerizing. I the be, show was fabulous. Yes. yes, thank you so much. So we'll be back, everybody, next week with another show, another adventure. Be sure to tune in. And, again, sign up on our Facebook page. Like us, follow us, so you'll be able to keep up with everything that we're doing. Until then, we'll see you on the Blue Highway. Good night, everyone. Good night. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural.